Welcome to Vision of Zion. The date today is October the 9th, 2023. I'm Craig, and with me is my special guest, Sean White. Hello, Sean. Hi, Craig. Thank you for having me tonight. Glad we could finally uh, find a time when, at least when I had time, I think you've been much, <laughs> much more willing or available than I have been lately. So we are going to continue our discussion of the book of Isaiah. Once again, we're reading from the Dead Sea Scroll translation, and we're going to cover chapter 27. And I had a chance to do a little bit of a review of this chapter, not Sean's review, but another review. And all I can say is the timing of this particular podcast is interesting because, as we know, three days ago, Israel was attacked by Hamas, and there's been a lot of news coverage about that, and people want to know what that means. Isaiah, of course, covers all these types of topics, big picture stuff, and also details. So, Sean, I've got up on the screen your notes. Why don't you begin? Isaiah 27 is the last of these four apocalyptic chapters. And in true chiastic form, Isaiah will reflect the message in this chapter back to the beginning of these four chapters and to reemphasize the message that he's trying to give us. He will remind us of the destruction of Lucifer's plan by God's anointed right hand, Yahweh of armies. Isaiah will describe the people God has saved to live in the world that he now controls. So just thinking back, we started in Isaiah 24 through 27 here and they really should be viewed in one big chapter and they are folding around the center point to reflect the message back now at chapter 24 so all right with that in mind let's go to this last chapter in that set and let's go to verse one in that day yahweh with his hard and great and strong sword will punish leviathan the fleeing serpent and Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon that is in the sea. Yahweh, with his hard and great strong sword, here the sword is tied to the servant, the right hand of God. The word sword has been used for thousands of years as a symbol of God, the word of God. The name Leviathan comes from the Hebrew word, lif, I don't probably pronounce this wrong, Levithian, or thian, which means to twist and turn, wind or coil. It is often used to refer this to the sea monster or a gigantic powerful thing. In one psalm, Leviathan is a whale-like creature, perhaps embodying the wonder and the strangeness of creation. Leviathan is used to describe the cruel enemy, the Egyptian host, which is to be crushed by the divine power and cast on the shores of the Red Sea, as described in Psalm 74.14. In Psalm 74.13, we've got a mistake there. Thou dost divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of the Leviathan in pieces, and gavest him to be... the meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Let's scroll up there. Uh, 
In looking at the whole of this verse, we have the servant crushing and destroying the wicked Leviathan, Lucifer. I would invite you to go back and read Psalm 74. It really has links to the times ahead of us and is another witness to what other prophets have said. All right, let's go to verse 2. In that day, sing to her a pleasant vineyard. I, Yahweh, am its keeper. I will water it every moment. Lest anyone dam damage it, I will keep it night and day. Wrath is not in me, but if I should find briars and thorns, I will do battle. I would march on them, and I would burn them together. Or else let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. Pleasant vineyard. Here God is speaking about his kingdom he has established in the new and old Jerusalem. I, God, am its keeper in watering it. God is making sure that the people have all the necessary spiritual and physical support they need to continue expanding the kingdom of God here on earth. Anyone that comes up against God's children to destroy them will be dealt with by God. Now, if those that come up against his children, want to make peace and grow spiritually, they will be given an opportunity of basking in all of the blessings of those that dwell in his Zion societies. For a moment here, I want to step back and look at the bigger picture. The people on earth at this point have gone through tribulation to turn their hearts and have them focus on God again. This is to get them to keep their covenants. Then this group joins together to travel to New or Old Jerusalem. This journey is similar to the Israelites as the Moses led them. The time traveling is to help refine the people and get them to put up their trust in God for everything. Now in this verse, we see Zion society established. They are not in a stasis for a thousand years. They are working to bring souls into this world that did not have an opportunity to have a body in a mortal experience in life. One example of this is the babes that died and the babes that have died through abortions. Can you scroll up? The parents will have an opportunity to raise them. Now for the adults accepted into the New Zion societies, they won't spend their days just fishing from a cloud as we joke about with angels. They work to become true disciples in teaching those outside the walls the importance of making deeper covenants with God and how these covenants will bless others' lives. Let's go to verse 6. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and bud. They will fill the furnace of the world with fruit. Has he struck them? Has he struck those who struck them? Or are they killed like those who killed them were killed? In measure, when you send them away, you contend with them. He has removed them with his rough blast in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this iniquity of Jacob will be forgiven. And this is all the fruit of taking away his sin, that he makes all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten in pieces, so that Asherah poles and the incense altars will shall rise no more. For the fortified city is solitary, 
a habitation deserted and forsaken like the wilderness. The calf will feed there, and there he will lie down and consume its branches. When its boughs are withered, they will be broken off. The women will come and set them on fire, for they are a people of no understanding. Therefore, he who made them will not have compassion on them, and he who formed them will show them no favor. Jacob will take root, Israel will blossom and bud, they will fill the surface of this world with fruit. This is very interesting. Jacob and Israel are the same person. This verse shows us that there will be two types of people left here on the earth at this time. Those who are like Jacob, who are committed to following the commandments, and those who have fully turned over their worldly possessions to God and have seen God face to face as a man speaketh to a man. This trial that Jacob went through is a pattern for each one of us as we seek to be in God's presence. First, God was faced with a, I mean, Jacob was faced with a challenge, a problem that seemed insurmountable as he faced certain destruction from his brother Esau. Two, Jacob came before God feeling unworthy of the blessings that God gave his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. In Genesis 32.10, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all of the truth which thou hast shewed unto my servant. Jacob was ready to give up all that he had to save the lives of others under his stewardship. You can scroll up. Just down a little bit. You have a different size screen than I do. Okay, sorry about that. Jacob stays behind, sending the others across the brook, as seen in Genesis 32, 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. It was after a struggle with an angel that God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Genesis 32, 28. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast, hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Genesis 32.30 For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now Enoch, Abraham, Moses, Nephi, brother of Jared, Enos, Alma, all went through similar challenges. It was after feeling unworthy of the blessings they had received, giving up all that they had to serve God and putting all their trust in God that they saw God face to face. This is a, the pattern in receiving the second comforter. As part of this journey, the Savior himself gives you a new name as a symbol of your new relationship to him. In most cases, the person is not allowed to reveal his name. This is not to be confused with someone from earth giving you a new name. This is something that comes directly from the Savior as you speak to him face to face, as one man speaks to another. DNC 88 is one of my favorite sections as it talks about another comforter. The people left in this world that are within the walls of New or Old Jerusalem have given up everything. They have put their whole trust in God and have seen his face as they prepare to be in God's presence. Their names will be changed in semblance to their new commitment to God 
they will propagate a new world and bring forth spirits that didn't have a chance to be tested in a body. Therefore, they will be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth with wonderful souls without the presence of Lucifer. The next part of this verse has he has struck them as he struck those who struck them, or they or are they killed like those who killed them were killed? Has God struck those in the same manner they struck his believing children? Has God killed those that killed his believers in the same way they were killed? Believers of him. He did not. He slowly used the east wind. In measure, when you send them away, you contend with them. He has removed them with his rough blast in the day of the east wind. Generally speaking, the east wind in the Bible is a negative thing. It is associated with the arrival of locusts as an exodus, the destructions of ship and crew in Psalms and Ezekiel, as well as crops in Ezekiel with drought in Hosea, scattering in Jeremiah, scorching in Genesis and in Jonah, turning the sea to dry land in Exodus, the east wind is used to humble the people and take down the proud who have forgotten the Lord their God. Therefore, by this iniquity of Jacob will be forgiven. And this is all the fruit of the taking away of his sin, that he makes all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten into pieces, so that the Azareth poles and the incense altars shall rise no more. God doesn't just come in and destroy the wicked as they did his believing children. He slowly removes all their false altars, symbols of their wealth that allow the unrighteous to have dominion over others. The altars are beaten into stones that crumble. The Azareth poles and incense altars are symbolizing Pagan gods and human sacrifices are destroyed. Therefore, by this iniquity of Jacob will be forgiven. And this is all the fruit of the taking away of his sin, that he makes all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten into pieces, so that the Azureth pulse and the incense altars shall rise no more. God just God does just come in and destroy the wicked as they did with the believing children. He slowly removes all their false altars and symbols of wealth that allow the unrighteous to have dominion over others. The altars are beaten into stones that crumble, and the Azure's poles and the incense altars symbolizing pagan gods and human sacrifices are destroyed. For the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken, like the wilderness, the calf will feed there, and there he will lie down and consume its branches. When its boughs are withered, they will be broken off. The woman will come and set them on fire, for they are the people of no understanding. Therefore, he who made them will not have compassion upon them, on them, and he who formed them will show them no favor. Once impenetrable, impenetrable cities are destroyed, livestock are now fed in those areas, 
had no as no one lives there the people who had once built up the fine opulent cities of wealth and glamour are now gone the people who now reside on the earth have no use for their designs the ornamental trees die and are used for cooking god will not show any favor towards those who designed the glamorous fortified cities all right verse 12 it will happen in that day that yahweh will thresh from the flowing stream of the euphrates to the brook of egypt and you will be gathered one by one children of israel we'll gather in all of his children who have heard his voice and know him personally even if it be one by one from the most obscure places on earth Verse 13, this is the last verse in Isaiah chapter 27. It will happen in that day that a great trumpet will be blown, and those who are ready to perish in the land of Assyria and those who were outcasts in the land of Egypt shall come, and they shall worship Yahweh in the holy mountain that is at Jerusalem. DNC 29 verse 26, But behold, verily I say unto you, before the earth shall pass away, Michael, mine archangel, shall sound his trump, and then shall all the dead awake, for the graves shall be open, and they shall come forth, yea, even all. Here we see many people who thought that they would surely perish at the hands of the Assyrian kings saved, and those that did not fit in with the worldly, proud, lavish lifestyles of the Egyptians, meaning America, will come and worship Yahweh, our one true God, within the walls God has set up as described in Isaiah chapter 26. All right. this... Well, a lot of information here, uh, and uh, that block of verses 6 to 11 had quite a bit of meat on them. So, um, a few questions that arise for me. Let me just glance through this here. Yeah, it is pretty clear that when the Lord talks about a sword or his arm, he's talking about some type of divine retribution or protection from servant or servants, correct? Yeah. And quite often... The sword is the word of God or the truth, you know, coming forth. And there's no way to destroy it or take advantage when that sword is parried. It's a two-edged sword to where it does damage. You don't have to twist or turn it or pull or do everything. It just goes straight in and the truth testifies and um, it is all-powerful. The Book of Mormon teaches that the word is stronger than the sword right that yeah uh, it had a greater effect on the hearts and the minds than physical force mm -hmm. let's go to the next set of verses well this is verse two and i don't think i had any questions about that um, this seems to be a common theme that there's this promised vineyard, uh, which represents those who are willing to, you know, follow the Lord. Um, 
I liked what you emphasized about the importance of making covenants. Uh, verse 6 through 11, I like the pattern that you presented, that the same way that J Jacob obtained his blessing from the Lord, right? We yeah. go through similar steps, correct? Exactly. You know, we'd like to be able to cut short the steps or think that we don't have to do as much work as they did. But that is not the case. We have to take all the steps that these other brethren did to see God face to face. And you mentioned several of them. Enoch, Abraham, Moses, Nephi, the brother Jared, Enos, Alma, all went through similar challenges. Yeah. Looking through these other verses here. Yeah, it's interesting how the Lord uses the idolatry of the past to compare it to not only what we do, uh, but what the children of Israel have also tended to do. Um, then and and now but i'm reminded as you read in these last few thoughts in the verse in the especially in verse 13 that one of the patterns we have is and we have a verse of scripture that talks about the last being first and the first being last and in the book of Mormon, we, we get an explanation for what that means um the last being first means in the last days the gentiles would receive the gospel first we see that happening through the disciples of jesus christ once the jews reject the message but we have this very strong theme of redemption among the house of israel among the jews that eventually the you know the last First shall be last, last shall be first. So at the end of times, the first people that God elected, he's going to fulfill those promises in the last days and, and make them clean. And boy, this marvelous work is still coming, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's interesting in thinking about the last shall be first. We're in uh, DNC 29:26. We talk about Michael, the archangel, blowing his trumpet, who was the first being Adam on this earth, and him being the last of the seven angels in the book of Revelations that blows her trump for the resurrection. So here we have the first man on earth being the last one to blow his trumpet and for the resurrection to start. And I think that's really significant right there. Do you have any thoughts about this chapter in relation to what's unfolding in the last few days with um, Israel under attack now? Yeah, I do. I've thought about this a lot. We've, we need to be careful because many people are getting excited and looking at things and they haven't studied all the scripture and we realize that many things have not yet happened. And uh, we need to be aware of what stage and how things are unfolding to know for ourselves where we are at. Um, 
many times we are given three warnings as I've seen through the last days of my walk with the Savior. So we may have uh, two precursors to a war or two precursors to a financial upheaval. And then the third one is the big traumatic one. But as I saw, if you don't see three events leading up to the, or two events leading up to the big event, you need to go back and look because you're missing something because there's always these warning signs or warnings leading up to it. Um, we don't have the whole world assembled against Israel yet. We only have a few countries assembled against it. And so that's one key ingredient that why we don't have World War III starting and stuff. Yes, there'll be many starting to join in and take sides, but not everyone has taken sides yet against Israel. And um, the scripture said the whole world will be against Israel, correct? At the time yeah, it happens, there will be. Yeah, so there's a lot of things we need to watch and wait for. And we, we can't just casually expect somebody else to tell us everything. We need to be actively engaged in seeking the signs and understanding them for ourselves to survive these upcoming days. So. So let me ask you a question now. Uh, now that we've completed this group of chapters, what what's in store for us after we as we leave Isaiah chapter twenty-seven? The next few chapters are going to go into a series of woes, and they're going to go back and go through more detail of kind of the first three and a half years and giving fine-tuning some warnings and reiterating some warnings to us in more detail to help us understand. And this really creates a shift in the book of Isaiah. We have three major um, portions of Isaiah, and they're almost people of thought written by three different authors because of the style of their writing and the style of the things going on. In the chapters up to this point, we've seen, to me, a kind of a fast overview from beginning to end of um, the tribulations and how they do. And I'm excited to start sharing with you some of the, the new things, like uh, in chapter 29, we're going to be going over um, words that come from the dust that we have not yet seen, the beginning to the end, which we do not have in the Book of Mormon or any other volume of Scripture, which is, in some ways, the talk that uh, Adam gave to his posterity. And that's exciting to me to hear those things. And he will talk about encamping around the city of Ariel, and that will be exciting. And um, we just have a, a lot to cover. And any time that I hear the word woe in the Scriptures, I'm like, you know, it really means stop and listen. It's like to the horse, when you yell out to the horse, Whoa, you want them to stop and listen to what you're saying. The Lord is doing the same to us to reiterate this. So it'll be exciting to look this over. So I have something to share that is very related to this chapter. This last uh, couple of weeks, so it's been about nine days ago. Actually, it was thanks to you. Uh, we had uh, tickets to go to the St. George Temple and to go through the open house. And that's open to the public, by the way. So any of you who haven't had an opportunity to go through the the St. George Temple, this is probably almost definitely a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see uh, for the 
for public viewing before the temple is dedicated. But I did have a couple of impressions, and I won't go into any detail here, except to say what the two impressions were, or two phrases of scripture. And they're both in this chapter, which is kind of amazing, because these are chapters that you prepared to talk about that I'm just kind of uh, reading through them with you. One of them was that the Lord was going to thrash the nations, or thresh, thresh the nations is kind of the same idea. You thresh grain, uh, that there's judgment coming for the nations of the earth. And my impression was that this is going to begin very soon. And the Lord uses the weak things of the earth to do this through the Spirit. He doesn't call upon the strong. He calls upon the weak to thresh the nations. And uh, we see this threshing language right here in this chapter. So I'm like, oh, this is great. This is exactly what one of my couple of impressions was in the temple. The other impression I had was that despite the trials that we're going to go through, that those who are Zion people, those who are the saints or striving to be the saints of the Lord, are going to have comfort. So let me back up a little bit. When I say thrash the nations, it's it's a, the beginning. We're entering a phase where the nations are going to be judged and they're going to fall apart. And I'm not talking about anything new. This is in Daniel chapter 2. We know the nations yeah. of the earth are going to be broken to pieces as the kingdom of God is established. And I think this is at our doorsteps now. So this is not a surprise. But what was interesting is this is not the same as, a, as an individual judgment where we're judged. In fact, what, I, what my impression was, was that after the nations begin to break apart, then we're really going to find out who we are. Um, are we going to live Christian, righteous, virtuous principles during the breakdown of society? We see we see that, that now. We see as some of the police powers of the government have been relaxed in the last two or three years. We're seeing people commit atrocities that they couldn't or wouldn't get away with because they knew they couldn't get away with it. So as things break apart, we'll, we're going to see eventually these individual judgments. The second thing that I had an impression about was this comforting of the saints. And that doesn't mean that we're going to avoid <laughs> these judgments. Yeah. My impression was it was kind of like the Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did the Lord, was he spared from the atonement that he needed to do for us? No. Um, he wished he could if it could if it wasn't a cup he had to drink he didn't want to have to drink it okay and what happened during during the course of the night an angel came and comforted him so there is great strength in being comforted knowing that you're on the path and i know a lot of people who were like let's just get this over with you know let's get to the good stuff and i get that and we just have to remember we're going to go through some stuff some difficult stuff. And as it says here, um, you know, the people who are going to uh, be protected and, and make it through relatively in good shape are those who desire to be in Zion. And as it says in this last verse, who are they? 
well, they're the people who the world uh, considered outcasts, people who are ready to perish. They're the ones who get to make it through to this refiner's fire. So I hope and pray that we will keep in perspective that as we go through these challenging times, which are really upon us, I mean, they're happening, they're starting to unfold to a great degree that the promises of the Lord, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, if you have uh, embraced the gospel and are striving to live to the best of your ability, the word of God, that there's protection, there's comfort, and there's a promise of, uh, of a society that is built on godly principles. You know, I'm reminded of... Um in the Old Testament, and I think we often overlook some of those things in the Old Testament, but as the Israelites walked to the new promised land from Egypt, there was a statement there that none of their feet were sore. And I think of all the walking they did and everything, and what a blessing that was to not have sore feet. And, you know, we even have a portion where the Lord says, and I fell a tree in the water to make the water sweet. And yet you complained. He talks about how when there was no water, he provided water. When there was no food, he provided quail and he provided manna. And this will be like the days in the future that we can rely on Heavenly Father to provide for the things when we truly covenant to follow him and truly commit to living our Christ-like lives. And I think that's such a blessing. It's a blessing, and I often think about one of the reasons the Lord was so merciful to the house of Israel in the wilderness, who followed Moses there, who left Egypt. I think a big part of it was to, it, it, they keep coming back to that theme, right? So the Lord laid a, pattern out with Moses and and the children of Israel <clears throat> and we can continue to re, uh, relate back to that a God of miracles God of power and uh, a God who has in mind an end game an end plan it's really a wonderful thing we can look back to over centuries and millennia of time and say this is this is the God we worship this is what he's capable of doing and this is what he's promised to do, like you said, in the last days. Yeah. All right, Sean, I think we're done with Isaiah chapter 27. I want to thank you for joining me. And thank you so much, Greg. Bet. And soon we'll cover Isaiah chapter 28. This has been Vision of Zion. Take care. Mm -hmm.